Okay. All right. Yeah, I hear you. Okay. okay. We've got, uh, by way of introduction, my, I'm, I'm Jeff Steele. In case I know, I think I know everyone and everyone knows us, but Andy and I have been talking for off and on for a while that I would teach, James did, so giving Andy a bit of a break, and then I get an, an opportunity to, to, to use uh, my gift as well, which is uh, teaching. I'm not a preacher. I'm, I'm an okay teacher. Uh, I think, but uh, so I, we talked, what would I do, and Andy said, anything you want. First up, my, my first thing was I'll, I'll, I'll try to loop it back to Romans and some of the things he was covering, and then I said, you know, I'm just going to do First Peter. So First Peter, and there's a lot in persecution there, and if you t kind of looked at, at where the world is headed according to Romans, and the fact that if you looked at Romans, and if we don't agree with the people that are living absolutely aberrant lives, then at some point... Um, if we don't give heartier, even if we do not do the thing the world does, we are, Romans talks about they give hearty approval to those that do those things. Well, we are going to be the ones that don't give hearty approval. On the contrary, we tell them they are wrong. And so there's, there's where that, there's where that, we cross that line then over into persecution and suffering and that sort of thing. So we're going to do a whirlwind tour of First Peter. Uh, this morning, so I, I tend to go really, really fast. I, I think I have a lot to say, and I'm not getting any younger, so that I don't have a lot of time left. So I got I, I move uh, I move at, at a at a pretty quick pace. Um, but uh, so with that in mind, I ask Andy, can I have next week as well? So for better or for worse, like it or not, you're going to get me this weekend next week. So if you'll uh, if you'll go ahead and turn to First Peter, we're going to go pretty quick. Next week, we'll go a little bit deeper dive into some aspects of what 1 Peter tells us in his, uh, in his five chapters. But it was written by Peter, according to 1.1. Um, no reason to think it wasn't written by Peter. It was scribed by a gentleman by the name of Silvanus, uh, whose name was all, Silvanus, also named Silas. Um, according to 5.12, he, he wrote it for Peter. Uh, Peter was dictating from the Holy Spirit, and Silvanus or Silas wrote that. And you, I wonder, you wonder, how do you get Silas and Silvanus? How are those names different? Now, it's not two, they're, they're the same one, Silvanus and uh, Silas. That's a, it's just a Hebrew name and, a, and then a Greek translation. It's kind of like my name is Jeff, G-E-O-F-F. -F. Jeff Tankersley is J-E-F-F. -F. It's not a big deal, really. We're both named Jeff. It's just a spelling or... You know, the etymology of that name is a little bit different. Um, so God, in, it, God inspired Peter with the words, and he dictated those words to Silvanus, who wrote it down. I, when I, when, part of sometimes when I meditate, I, I kind of picture these men doing this. Uh, I, I like to meditate on how supernatural it really all is. Peter saying the words that the Holy Spirit inspires in him, he speaks them out loud, and Silvanus writes them down. It's a train of thought uninterrupted and a train of writing uninterrupted, just moving through 1 Peter, the scripture that we have today. Uh, perhaps it took days to complete. I don't, I don't know. <clears throat> I like to think it all started and stopped within an hour as the Holy Spirit just uh, empowered these men, not, not stopping and starting and Sylvanus saying, now wait a minute, back up, casting all your care, and then what would you say after that? No, it's just, it's just this movement. Sylvanus himself, in fact, is described in Acts 5, 15, 32 as a prophet. 
So he, <clears throat> during this time, he was probably as likely as inspired as Peter was, but God chose Peter to be the, quote, author of First Peter, uh, but with Silvanus writing it down. So Silvanus didn't have to wonder what Peter was talking about. I believe the Holy Spirit inspired Silvanus as he did Peter. So both men understood what was supposed to be the written word of God. Uh, representing the written word, Christ, the written word, the truth of God. And so both men knew what they were doing is, is kind of the net of it all. Uh, it was most likely written from, uh, from Rome around 65, 64, 65, could be earlier, say 63 or even later, 67. But this three to four uh, year time frame is likely. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've heard of Peter. Uh, you've heard of Peter. If I say, if we're in a Christian setting and I say Peter, you know who I'm talking about. If I say Paul, you know who I'm talking about. Okay, so he's fairly famous. He's fairly famous. A lot of us will try to wish we could be like Paul, but most of us have a tendency to identify with Peter, rather impetuous, whether bold, uh, kind of uh, just, just launch out off the cuff kind of thing. Um, he's the only other person besides Jesus recorded to walk on water. Uh, tradition said he was crucified upside down. Uh, tradition also says he was forced to watch his wife being crucified before he himself was crucified upside down. He encouraged his wife with the words, remember the Lord. Uh, Peter understood suffering, and we'll see much of First Peter is all about suffering. Uh, Peter was clearly the leader among all the apostles. We see this emphasized by the gospel writers placing his name at the, at the head of any list of the apostles. You can see that in Mark 10, you can see uh, Matthew 10, you can see Mark 3, Luke 6, and Acts 1. Also, more information is included about Peter in the four gospels. Other, other apostles wrote more about Peter than they even did about themselves. So we know more about, more information is included in Peter about Peter in the four gospels than any other person other than Christ. Now, Peter was originally known as Simon, or Simon Bar-Jonah, that's Simon son of, or out of Jonah, that was his father. Simeon, that's his Hebrew name, Simon is his Greek name. He was brought to Christ by his brother, Andrew. Um, he was a fisherman by trade and rightly became a fisher of men. He was married, so much for the first pope, being unmarried, or any pope being unmarried. And his wife apparently accompanied him on much of his journey, according to Mark 1, according to Mark 1 29 through around 31, and 1 Corinthians 9, 5. Christ renamed him Peter in the Greek, or Cephas in the Aramaic. Uh, both words mean stone or rock. Uh, Christ singled him out for many special lessons directed, direct, directed at Peter, but beneficial the lesson was directed at Peter, spoken directly to him, but beneficial to all of the apostles and to us as well. I think that's why we learn so much from Peter, because Christ so often kind of beat him up verbally with some of his actions and words and questions that he had. He was the spokesman for the apostles, verbalizing their thoughts and questions. He was a man of triumphs. He walked on water, and he was a man of weakness. He denied Christ three times. His life is well chronicled in the gospel, I just said, and also in the Acts uh, chapters 1 through 12. Peter speaks much of persecution and suffering. Leads me to believe he and the church at this time was in the midst of persecution, and they were. Even worse, persecution was on the way, and Peter looks forward to that in his writings with warnings for more to come. 
Clearly persecution was widespread since Peter speaks of pilgrims and dispersion in 1-1. Persecution already expanded through much of Asia Minor. Um, again, probably written from Rome. You'll see he uses an interesting word in 513. He says Babylon. We'll talk about that a little bit more. You may have some study Bibles which quarter gives a hint at what Babylon is. It was more on that in discussions next week when we get there. Um, I, I hope this is kind of a short lesson. I don't know that we'll have time for questions this week. I'm going to try to set it up so we can do some, a little bit of that next week as we move into some, a, deeper, a bit deeper dive. Um, while I was working on this after talking to Andy and thinking through this and praying about what to do, uh, the last several weeks I've worked on this, but I've also been working on my taxes. <laughs> and so uh, it took me a while to do my taxes. Uh, and you say, well, gee, well, what the tax code is 71,684 pages in length and a measly 3.8 million words, and it took me, so it took me about a week to get my taxes done. Not that I went through every page of that, just letting you know. Uh, but it took me longer to do this lesson in First Peter, and First Peter is only five chapters. It's 105 verses and a measly 2,482 words. So, but when you work in the Bible, <laughs> and you dive into the Bible, there's more there and it becomes much more interesting, believe me, than the tax code, <laughs> okay? So that's, I say that only because to study the Word of God, it just opens up more in the Word of God. All, 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 all of Scripture is inspired, and you take the whole counsel of God, just talking, James is just kind of kidding me about it a little bit, but if you really look at all of Scripture and begin to to meld it together, and that's what a study will do. Reading it will help, but a true study will help meld this. And you say, wow, we started in Genesis, and we'll, you'll see in a minute, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Peter refers back to that. That's why you really can't unhitch from the Old Testament. You, if you unhitch from the Old Testament, you won't understand First Peter because he refers too much to these things. He, does, he alludes to it. He doesn't say, well, you'll read in Exodus. No, he, he alludes to so much Old Testament teaching. The essence of 1 Peter is stand firm, just as Paul admonishes believers to stand, and after having done all to stand, so Peter tells us the same thing. 1 Peter is about standing firm in our faith, stand firm no matter what. If standing firm brings condemnation, good. If it brings commendation, good. If it brings well-being, good. If it brings persecution, good. If it brings long life, good. If it brings to an end to life, good. The approach to this life is to stand firm, meaning stand for Christ regardless of the circumstances. Not only stand firm, but stand firm and be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks for the what? Hope that is in you. This book is about standing firm, it's about persecution, but it's about hope. So that, the, so that we as Christians are not disillusioned by our, our, our attempts to live a right life and yet we're persecuted and suffered because of that. We, we, we can be disillusioned, we can be disheartened, and this is a book of hope and encouragement. We want to have an answer and be ready is what Standing Firm is all about. Ready at any time, any place, to anybody, in any circumstances to give an answer as to why you hope. See verse 1, chapter 1, verse 3. It's a, we, we have a living hope. 113 is rest your hope fully upon the grace so our hope is upon what Jesus tells us, what, what Scripture teaches us, not just we're, you know, we're hoping things will get better. That's not the kind of hope we're talking about. 
we want to be ready to give an answer according to 315. That's a sort of a famous verse. We see the theme of persecution, suffering, and hope throughout 1 Peter. So let's see if we, how far we can get this morning. In, 1, 1, in chapter 1, verse 1, he uses the word pilgrims. Again, in 2.11, Peter describes us as sojourners and pilgrims. You know, this world is not our home. The longer I live, the more I see I don't belong here. Uh, the more difficult it is for me to fit in, even in church sometimes. <laughs> My life, our life, is to be so radically different from anything in the world, we simply do not fit. Um, our lives make little sense to the unredeemed. Our lives likely to do not make much sense to a nominal Christian. To live a Christian life is one thing. To call yourself a Christian is entirely different. So we hear people all the time say, well, I'm a Christian. And then I examine their fruits, which I'm allowed to do. I don't judge them. I examine their fruits, and I'm thinking, I'm not so sure, to be perfectly honest. I find it hard, as hard to relate to a once-a-year Christian like Easter and, Christ and Christmas as I do to relate to a non-Christian. My life, my worldview, my outlook on everything here and everything to come is totally different than what the world offers me. It's not getting any better. Uh, it seems the more I recognize myself as being a stranger in this world, the stranger I get. Peter wants us to realize that as we live the life of Christ before a wicked world, there will be persecution, there will be suffering. In this country, we really don't understand that. In the Western world, and I think it's coming. Other parts of the world, our Christian brothers and sisters know plenty about persecution. You can look at Voice of the Martyrs. I refer you to a book that was written, oh, it's 20 years old now, called Their Blood Cries Out. I wish that author would update that. Yeah. Oh, the mic. I'm sorry. How's that? Is that better? Yeah. <laughs> okay, but stand firm and be ready to give an answer. No, I won't start over. <laughs> In 2.9, we read, we are a chosen generation, okay, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. In 2.10, we see our, we are the people of God. A chosen generation is an Old Testament concept Peter uses to emphasize the privileges of New Testament Christians. You can look in Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. We'll dive into that next week. It's free to look at it now. This is laid down in contrast to the disobedient who are appointed to, by God to wrath. They are appointed. We're appointed as a holy nation, children of his. The unredeemed are appointed to wrath. Here we read some are elected or appointed to salvation in 1, 2, and some are elected appointed to stumble, to be disobedient according to 2, 8. God does what he does in his appointments. Peter harks back to Exodus 19.6 to use this concept of a kingly priesthood and shows that freedom, through the freedom in Christ where no sacrifices are necessary, no special priest is necessary, we have access directly into the Holy of Holies and we can come to God directly. We are a royal priesthood. As Christians, the, the royal priesthood, we, we make up a holy nation. We are his own special people. People use, uh, Peter uses phraseology found in the Old Testament books. We'll look at this next week. Exodus 19.5, Isaiah 43.21, Malachi 3.17, where we are called peculiar. Uh, Greek is peculium, uh, which we get, we get our word peculiar. Some of us are more peculiar than others, but we are all pretty peculiar when compared to the way of the world. 
We are special pe people to God, not because we are special in and of ourselves, but because he has made us special for his own purpose. He called us out of darkness into light that we might proclaim his praises. That word peculium or peculiar uh, in the Greek, I looked it up. I don't speak Greek, but I speak English, so I can read English that explains to me what the Greek is. It says, the private, special, treasured possession of God. So that's who you are if you're redeemed. Proclaim, he said, he does all this so that we may proclaim his praises. Proclaim is an interesting word used by Peter. And you think, well, what's so interesting about the word proclaim? Sounds simple enough. Well, this particular word here is used nowhere else in the New Testament. It means to tell forth. It means to tell something not otherwise known. It carries the idea. I, I, I don't speak Greek, but I love to study Greek because it, their words are very different than ours. But this Greek word carries the idea that if we, if special people do not proclaim it, it will never be known because no one, is special, no one else is special enough to proclaim it. It's a special proclamation, and it takes special people to proclaim the special proclamation. You follow that. If we looked in 2.11, you'd see sojourners and pilgrims. He uses these words because this is who we are, foreigners in a secular society ruled by wicked men, surrounded by evil. This is, this is where we live. This is where God has placed us and left us. Peter here calls us to righteous living in a hostile world. It's not an easy life, but we are commanded to live differently. In a few cases, Peter sums up our earthly life. We are pilgrims in 2, 11, and 12. We are citizens in 13 and 7 through 17, and we are servants in eight, verses 18 and 20. So in chapter 2, we see the basis of our life on earth before men. As a special people, Nothing more than pilgrims passing through. We are to, in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 11, we are to abstain from fleshly lusts. Literally hold yourself away from fleshly lusts. It's, it's, a, it's a conscious effort we have to make. It doesn't say, well, you know, just try, try to behave, Jeff. No, it says you abstain, you hold yourself from that. Why? Because our natural fallen nature wants to go toward that fleshly lust. I am to consciously withhold myself back. Whatever I have to do to keep myself from fleshly lust, that's what Peter says do. Peter means more than sexual temptation. Paul said it too. Paul said make no provision for the flesh, and he said flee youth, youthful lust. Peter means more than sexual temptation. If we are to have an impact on the world, we must be disciplined in and an inward and private sort of way, as well as in our outward, our outward behavior. Because if I'm thinking wrong, I'm going to eventually act wrong. It's just a matter of time. Okay, if I harbor impure thoughts, it's a matter of time before I act out impurely. Okay, so it's not just if we are to have an impact on the world, we must be disciplined in and in our private lives by avoiding the desires of the fallen nature, just not just sexual, but all fleshly lusts. And I, I don't want to be trite, but it includes yielding to the TV when we should be reading God's word, sleeping in, we should be at church, keeping our mouth shut when we should speak up for Jesus cowering away, saying, I don't want to get involved when we see the innocent suffer. Um, fleshly lust, I just said, well, what does it mean? I try to simplify things sometimes, which is hard for me at times. But fleshly lust e e really equals the easy life if you think about it. If I just yield to the flesh, then it could be I sleep in, it could be I, it's gluttony, excess drinking, I, you know, any number, think about any number of things. Um, Easy is anything compared to the disciplined life 
of following Christ, which he never said would be easy. In fact, we take up our cross. Okay, this is what Peter means. These lusts war against the soul. War is just what you think, a military battle that goes on constantly. The flesh wars against our soul. Our life is to be honorable, our conduct honorable among unbelievers. So even when they revile us, they say it to their shame. Peter covers this. It's simply not true if our conduct is honorable. They say it to their shame, but they will lie about you. I don't mean that. But to say it, it's really to their shame, not mine. We are to live an, an outwardly life that reflects the inward discipline we have developed by abstaining fleshly lusts. In 2.13, we, we see we are to submit as citizens. Peter and Paul use this military term in their writing, submit. It means to arrange in military fashion. Submit is the act. Again, the, the Bible, and I like the Greek, and that because it's more than just line up, dress right, dress. It's, you know, get in order, in a military order. It's to put oneself in that arrangement. It's not only to arrange yourself because that's what you're told to do, but you willingly submit yourself into that order, okay? If I am supposed to, in, a, in, a, in an inspection, I've, not, I've never been in the military, but I've seen movies. Uh, in military inspection, if you line up, then I, I'm pretty sure that you line up this, by the same guy. Every, you know, the guy to your right is always the same guy. The guy to your left is always the same, same guy. Well, that means I willingly put myself there. Regardless of who's on my right and left, I willingly put myself in that position. That's what that means. We are to, to submit ourselves uh, to, to those in authority. Just as Christ submitted to the cross, so we are to submit to those in authority. Christ, just as Christ rendered to Caesar what was his, so should we. Um, I just did my taxes. That was part of being an obedient citizen. As much as I dislike that, as much as I think I'm being robbed, uh, I just I fill it out and send it in. The name of Christ, we as Christians, we do not want the name of Christ maligned because of my disobedience to rulers. Unless they're telling me to do something that God has told me not to do, or they are telling me I can't do something God has commanded me to do. We would get into that if we ever did a lesson on you know, church and state one day. Why do all this? In 2.15, Peter says that we might silence foolish men. Do it as free men before the Lord. Don't use this freedom to see how close to the edge of God's grace we can get, but to actually live free and be freely obedient. I'm obedient to the cross because I'm free to do so. Am I free to disobey? Absolutely. Am I free to live like the world? Certainly. But I'm also free to be obedient. So I don't want to use my freedom as a liberty, or as Paul calls it, as a cloak for vice. We when we do that, we take on the looks of the world, and I, look, I don't look like a foreigner anymore. I look, like, I, look, I look like a local, and I don't want to do that. We take on the looks of the world. I am not free to do what I want to do. I am free to do what I ought to do. And there's a big difference there, okay? Chapter 3, we see even more submission. Um, wives, likewise. Likewise what? And I'm, I'm quoting, when I get, my, my memory verses are mostly from King James Version, which is what I have right here. Uh, I jokingly sometimes call it the authorized version. So if, you have, if you're reading something other than King James, you're reading from an unauthorized version. Just, just joking, just joking. Um, likewise, likewise what? Um, look at the end in chapter 3. 
Look at the end of chapter three, chapter two, where he talks about Christ suffered. Leave it as an example that we should follow his steps. He submitted and suffered, yet was without sin. So wives, likewise, in this way. In what way? Well, for the way Christ was. Submission. Why? So that your unsaved husband may be one without a word from you. By extrapolation or implication, your unsaved husband and other unsaved people would see your chaste life, see your quiet, submissive spirit. And they could say, there's something different about that stranger. Uh, it's almost like she doesn't belong here. Well, you're right. She doesn't. And what's different about her? Well, she's just so kind and gentle, submissive and pleasant. Sometimes you're afraid to witness your, your own husbands, just as I am sometimes afraid to witness to my own neighbors. So it's not, it's not what you say in this case. It's how you live that wins the husband. It's how you live that wins the neighbor. That's, that's the point here. In, in chapter 3, verse 4, it's the hidden person of the heart. I really like that. It's who you are on the inside. You know, my character is really revealed by what I do in secret when nobody's around, when nobody sees me. It's, except God. It's just me. That, that's who I really am. This is not who I am necessarily. You're seeing somebody that I've been planning this for three weeks now, <laughs> you know, but who I am by myself and nobody's around. That's who I really am. How do I behave then? What do I think then? What do I do with an evil thought that pops into my head? Do I harbor it for a while? Hold it? Just reading William Gurnall just this week. Do I hold that and let it Simmer, if you will, until it blossoms. James talks it until it blossoms into full-blown sin. When he says it is, sin is death. Remember, we read in Corinthians, Timothy, Titus, and Peter about how women are, have a quiet and gentle and submissive spirit, especially by their husbands and especially in the church assembly. I'm not going to get into we get into a little bit more of that about how we conduct ourselves in church, but women should be quiet. That doesn't mean they can't sing. It doesn't mean an appropriate setting they can't pray out loud, uh, things like that, but we, we, we don't see them. They shouldn't be preachers. They're not called to be leaders. So we'll, we can get into that a little bit more, but that's, that's a whole other lesson as well. You can read biographies about uh, women like Corey Ten Boom, Marge St. Vanderpoy. Look around you and see how women in today's world conduct themselves, and you can say, well, I'd rather I want to be a Christ-like woman or I'll live like that woman that you see on television or I don't, I, don't, I don't even know how to compare them because I'm, I'm kind of insulated. I, I like Christian women. <laughs> okay, I like Christian men. I can't help it, but uh, that's just how it is. The Lord will, if you, if you want to know how to conduct yourself, read Scripture, and then the Lord will reveal to you how to live, and He will do it within the gifts and the personality He has blessed you with. That's true for men and women. Because the husbands likewise keep going in, uh, in uh, uh, Ephesians 3, 3, 7, uh, and then you, if you wanted to, uh, Another uh, Ephesians 5:21. You can look there, but if you look in First Peter 3:7, that's that's that is a likewise there for men, husbands, men. We are to be like Christ as well. Submit, suffer, obey, and proclaim His praises. That's what we're to do. For a husband to see his wife as a weaker vessel carries with it the idea of her need for our or your protection, provision, counsel, teaching. Always submitting my needs to Lynn's needs. This would include helping her become the woman of God or the woman that God wants her to be, according to what we just read in 3, 1 through 6. See 3, 5, the holy women. Uh, husbands, you want to make your wife holy? Do what God asks you to do and live a holy life before her. Marriage is not about happiness anyway. It's about... Lynn? 
Uh, it's about marriage is not about <laughs> marriage is yeah marriage is not about happiness. It's about holiness. It's no, it's about holiness. I, I, I will not be calling on my wife again. <laughs> uh, and 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 men. What's that? Yeah, yeah, I should do that. Uh, yeah, there's a, right, that, that's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. Well, well, that's a whole other lesson: happiness versus joy. Don't get me off on all this different stuff. Um, Peter has always told, already told us to abstain from fleshly lusts, and men, you must do this, whether you're a husband or not. Uh, your control of your own fleshly lust is critical to the success of your marriage and your life to the outside world. I, you, every man has, Paul says, no, one, no man lives unto himself, no man dies unto himself. Even if you have no children, if you have no wife, you've never been married, you've never had children. You don't anticipate any that ever happening. Yet, well, likewise for, your, for women, you still have an influence on other people. You have, you have nieces, nephews, uncles, everybody, everybody has a mother and father, whether they're living or not. You, you have someone that you're living in front of, and your life can directly impact that person, usually one-on-one, one-on-one. In Peter 3.8, 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you be of one mind. That's for all of us, especially in the marriage, but in all our relationship. All we are to speak is blessing, according to 3.9. That's a you got to be careful with there. Okay, read 3.9. It says all we speak to each other is blessing. Does that mean we can't joke around, cut up, and that sort of thing? But it's ultimately, it's all about blessing one another. In 3.18, we read of Christ having suffered once. How many times? Once. The just for the unjust. My sin for his sinlessness. My, 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 his death for my life. Okay? My death for his life, because I died of myself. Very briefly, again, we could get into this one day, but he preached to the spirits in prison. It's not the time of the class to get into that, but suffice to say, uh, you can search this out. But he preached to the demon spirits bound in the abyss and proclaimed that in spite of his death, he is alive and has triumphed over them. That's a whole other study. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1, it's a beautiful admonition. One we don't always exercise, but it is a command. Someone read 4 1. Anybody? Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Yeah, let, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. You arm, you arm yourself, your thinking is your armor. Okay, I mean, how you think, and you, if you think on, if you if you are saturated, if you're filled with God's word, what are you likely to think most on? You're going to see the world through the lens of Scripture, because that's all you're you, you you really feel you're filled with. And even if you don't always, you say, oh well, this happened, and I know exactly how to respond to it biblically. Sometimes you don't. You have to say, well, this happened. Let me go find out how I should respond or how I can respond or what is a what is a biblical response to that I don't always know sometimes I see someone protesting uh, you know anti-abortionists I saw where the FBI has literally raided homes now that 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 has increased where they they find out with the Department of Justice and the FBI that whole organization is now used it's been weaponized then they, they, they raid homes of people who are anti-abortion activists. They're not breaking the law, but they're suspect 
they're, they're made suspect. Uh, you know, you could, I suppose, I've never been a policeman either, but I suppose a policeman, given, us, given just the right kind of movement, someone that they're trying to apprehend or even having a discussion with, a policeman could paint them as having resisted arrest. I mean, what does that mean? You know, what, there's, I'm, I'm sure there's a legal definition of that, but if I make the wrong move, he was resisting. Well, I think that's what they're doing now. All of that to say that I don't know how to tell someone, should you, should you, uh, should you protest or should you not protest? I, I lean toward not protesting simply because that's, God, his, my kingdom's not of this world, but I, I'm certainly anti-abortion. I, I do, um, I send money to anti-abortion groups. I, I am behind that 100%. I think there's a lot that can be done other than marching the streets. But that's just me. I, couldn't, I wouldn't tell someone is wrong. they're wrong for doing that. I think the Lord has to impress you the right way to handle something like that. But I see the innocent suffer, and you can't, and it, it, it riles me. <laughs> we'll call it a righteous anger, I guess. I don't know. I'm cautious with that as well. But I see the innocent suffer, and I, I'm, I'm compelled to do something about it. Sometimes that is nothing more than sending money. Uh, sometimes, however, that may very well be that uh, to, to be, to, uh, you know, to be, uh, um, to be well prepared is to be well armed. <laughs> so, you know, there's a whole range of, of approaches to this that I would have to leave to, uh, to, to you. The mind, with such a mind that we have as Christ, as Judy just read, we no longer live the rest of our time in the flesh, according to verse 2, 4, 2. Peter points out that we have spent enough time in doing the will of the Gentile. Gentiles in the New Testament refers to unbelievers, not just to non-Jews. In 4, 3, we read about ourselves before Christ. We walked in lewdness. What is lewdness? Lewdness is unbridled, unrestrained sin and excessive indulgence in sexual pleasure. We walked in lusts. We walked in drunkenness. We walked in revelries. That's orgies. The Greek word for revelry is used in extra-biblical writings to refer to a band of drunken, wildly acting people swaggering and staggering through public streets. Drinking parties. Careful social drinkers, I would caution you. Think of this as a cocktail hour or a happy hour kind of on steroids. Just gone, just gone, gone crazy. <clears throat> Take a, take, a, take a happy hour, a cocktail hour, and turn it into a holiness hour. How about that? That's, that's abominable idolatries. That's another term he uses. Anything you let become an, uh, an idol. Um, this is how God sees you. Peter says, this is how you were seen by God before you came to Christ. It, it gives us a, some insight into the mind of Christ. How, 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 how did he see us? And when you see how bad you were before you, Christ saved you, you realize, you, you, you realize how much God must love you to, to have done that for such a wretched sinner. When I think of it, I won't do it. When I think of it, it is, it is I can see, I mean, I could, I could tear up. When you begin to really think about it, what a wretch I was. Some worse than others. Some are worse than I was. But I was not a, I was not a good fellow at all uh, before I came to the Lord. Um, but when I think of that, and I think of what he redeemed me from, I'm even more grateful. That, that compulsion, I don't, want, I don't like to think back on my past sins. In fact, when I became a Christian, one of the things I did was ask the Lord to help me 
eliminate those memories from my, from my mind, the things I did. I, I don't want to reflect back on that because those, those things are passed away. And I don't want to look back on that because that's, that's no longer me. That is an old man. That, is, that, that was an old, I was not an old man then. But now that I am an old man, I still don't like to go back on those things. So when I give, if we're, if we give a testimony, I don't stand a lot of, spend a lot of time on, on, on prior life because it tend, we tend to get wrapped up in our own sins. And guess what happens? My own flesh gets wrapped back up into that past again. And it's almost like I enjoy talking about those things I did. So I, you, I have to be careful with that because that's who I am. When you become a uh, sin, sin for a Christian becomes, in, in the believer, is a burden which afflicts me rather than a pleasure that one time delighted me. Sin becomes a burden for me, not a delight. So if you delight in sin, question your salvation. If you're not under any kind of conviction for what you did wrong, I, I, would, I would encourage you to, to, to examine yourself. So make sure you are in the faith. Paul tells us to do that. 4-7, we read about the end of all things being at hand. I think we see that more than ever. Above everything else, have fervent love for one another. That's in 4-8. 4-10, we read, we're going to go quick. 4-10, we read about ministering our gifts to one another as good stewards. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, find out. I would encourage you to find out. If you know what it is, use it. Uh, if you have a special talent or gift, say carpenter or computer work or handyman or sewing, use that to minister to one another as a good steward. Um, in 412, we read about our suffering being for God's glory. It's not for us. It's for God's glory. We have not really suffered yet. I believe it is coming. In fact, 413 tells us when we have partaken in Christ's suffering, we are to rejoice and be glad with how much joy? Exceeding joy. I pray I can have that mind if true suffering does come my way. Note that Peter, this is interesting, very quickly. Let's see how much time I got. I got just plenty of time. Um, years, years, and years, and years, and years ago, when I was in undergraduate school, I was taking an anthropology course, of which I took several. But one professor was, he was working on his PhD, and he was working with the Eskimos. And uh, not in Alaska, but out up beyond that part of Canada and all across that northern, almost up to the pushing the North Pole. But and he was learning the Eskimo Inuit Eskimo language, um, and they have 16 words for snow. So if I say snow, you know what I'm talking about. But we don't have a word that covers powdered snow or wet snow or what you might think of snow that falls, melts a little, refreezes, and then new snow on that. We don't have a word, we don't have a single word for packed snow. We don't have a word for, a single word for that snow which is on top of ice, which can be extremely dangerous. They have the, all these words. Well, Paul, I mean, Peter, if you look in, where, where Peter talks about suffering and, and persecution, uh, specifically for suffering, he uses seven different Greek words, and I literally was working them up this morning. Um, seven different Greek words for suffering. Uh, physical pain is one. Mental anguish is another. Emotional pain is suffering. Looming terror of disaster, the fear of what's going to happen, that's why we should fear not. The fear of what's going to happen is another Greek word. It hadn't happened yet, but you, you kind of know it's going to. 
And what's called an ultimate horror is suffering. And in this context, at this time, what would have been an ultimate horror that you dreaded the most? In anticipation of suffering like Christ did, it would be crucifixion. Okay, the very thing that Peter wrote about was the very way tradition says he died. And, they, and that, that word, you could, you could take that word and we would use ultimate horror, which was, a, a, what's the worst way you can think of as dying? My wife does, we don't do cruises because she doesn't want to drown in the ocean. I, I, have a, I, have a, I have this strange, I don't have many fears, and this is really a fear. I don't want to be stabbed with my shirt off. Don't ask me why that is. <laughs> I think maybe there's a shirt, then my shirt would, you know, limit the penetration somehow. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, it's strange. We're, we're peculiar. But peculiar. Well, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. There's another use of that word. So it's not just waiting for the authorities to knock down our door and arrest us. Suffering covers a, such a wide range of our life on earth that Peter needed seven different words to help us understand it. When I say suffering, you kind of got an idea, but I just gave you some aspects of the Greek language where maybe you can say, yeah, I haven't suffered. I mean, a, a, a homebound person who is in a wheelchair and can't really get out, I mean, how much suffering do they have in the outside world? And yet, are they suffering? Absolutely, especially as they pour their how out before the Lord for maybe healing or just a way to, to, get, to get to the restroom on their own. Or, to, or maybe they just pour their hearts out for other people and they become a prayer warrior. And they suffer through that, not for themselves, but they suffer because they're so concerned about me and they're praying about me or they're praying about you. Okay, or they're praying about the church. They have these burdens, and they become a prayer warder. In four fifteen, we are none of us are to suffer because we what deserve it. Okay, if we do wrong and suffer, you get what you deserve. If we do right and suffer, then Christ is glorified. Okay, Christ is not glorifying in your suffering where you are paying the penalty for your own sin, for your own misbehavior. Okay? There's, a, there's a vast difference. Again, there's a big difference between suffering and suffering. Okay? If you're suffering for Christ's sake, that's one thing. If you have done wrong and you suffer, you get, you get what you deserve. There's no glory in that. There's no glory in that. I thought it interesting that Peter lists being a busybody right there with murderer, thief, and evildoer. How about that? You can study this section further on your own. I just thought it was interesting insight into God's mind studying 1 Peter 4, 14 through 19, where he talks about murderers, and then he talks about busybodies. What can happen? Well, busybodies, gossiping, even when we don't control what we say, when we, we kind of just let it flow and we're laughing and cutting up, and pretty soon that gets to where, especially joking, uh, Peter Paul talks about coarse joking or you know, idle words. All of that, you see how Scripture all becomes kind of blended together. And if I get away with my joking, then guess what? Ultimately, somebody is going to be the brunt of a joke. Lynn and I were talking about that the other day. And if you make a joke about I may I may laugh, I may look like I'm laughing with you, but the joke was on me, and really on the inside, that person is 
that you, you, you've hurt them somehow. And that's why we want to be careful with what we say. That's why we go back to what Peter said at the beginning. We speak nothing but blessing. I think it's one now. We speak nothing but blessing to one another. Okay? Many of us, me included, we really cherish 1 Peter 5, 7. Someone read that. Anybody? That's, that's, I, mean, that's, I mean, I cherish that. that that's, I, I depend on that. Okay, I depend on that. Unfortunately, many of us, me included, fail to commit to verse 6. Somebody read 1 Peter 5. Back up. Yeah. Hold on a second. I'll do it myself. That's what happens when I trust my memory. And here I thought I, I, thought I had all this memorized. Yeah, okay. Go to 5.6. Back up one, five, six. I'll, look, I'll do it. First Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves. First Peter 5, 7 is great. Casting all your cares upon him for he careth you, for you. That, that's that's, a, that's a, a, something we cherish. We, we, I, I like that. But 5, 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. I like the idea of casting my cares on him and he, because he cares for me. I don't like the idea of humility. My nature is not particularly humble. In fact, if I were any more humble, I would be proud of it, and that's what happens to us. We get, <laughs> we get, we get proud of our humility. You know, that's the old, give me patience and give it to me right now. So we, 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 don't, we, we look at First Peter and we think, well, yeah, I, 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 I want to cast my care on him. Well, you'll get there by humbling yourself because you know there's nothing you can do for yourself. So quit caring. The, 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 command that was more, the one command we see more in all of Scripture than any other is fear not, some, 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 in some way that way. And this is a part of that command is cast your care. But how do you cast your care? Well, you're so humble you know that you can't, you can't do anything. You can't get anything done on your own, not in not not in this not in this not in this in this life. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, hunter your sounds on the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. I want my cares to go away. I want to sense His care for me, but I just can't get the humble myself under the mighty hand of God part. Um, I will say this: It's getting easier for me to do that. Maybe because I'm getting older and you know not not out there quite as much. One reason this is that I have resisted his hand long enough, really, and um, I am well aware of verse 8 and 9. And what does verse 8 and 9 tell us? That, that there's a roaring lion out there, and he has devoured me so many times that I've learned it is much easier to just humble myself and cast my cares on him. Um, I, do des I desire to be sober and vigilant, when I do that, I am able to resist the evil one. I look forward to verse 10. Uh, perfect me, establish me, strengthen me, and settle me. All of those words. That's what, that's what this ultimately will take you to. So we go from one one where we're pilgrims all the way to if we humble ourselves and we depend on Christ, then he perfects you. He will establish you. He will strengthen you, and he will settle you. So in submission, we suffer when we suffer for Christ's sake. He is glorified, not me. As we suffer and stand firm, steadfast is the word in 5.9. We are established and perfected. Is that not what you want? Do you not want perfection? You won't get it in this life, but we are, that's, our, that's, that's where we're headed. That's where we, we want, we strive for that. 
Is that not what we want? Is not that the hope that is in us, ultimate perfection? Is that not the answer we are to give? Why do you act this way? Because I'm, I'm headed toward perfection. <laughs> okay, I'm working toward that ultimate perfection. Why go through all of this? What's in it for me? Actually nothing in this life. But Christ is glorified and I am perfected. In this life, moving toward perfection, be, be you holy as I am. Be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. So we're moving that way. In this body, we're trapped. We'll never reach full perfection. But saturating ourselves with Scripture, living the godly life, humbling ourselves before the mighty hand of God, we move toward strength, establishment, and perfection. Okay? The Christian life is not necessarily an easy life, but it's the best life here, and it's the perfect life for eternity. Okay? Okay, next week, if you've got questions, write something down. <clears throat> Feel free to email me. How do you email me? You look on Church Social. I'm in there. If you're not in Church Social, get there, and you can find it. Uh, you have a Twitter? No. I don't do anything. No. Listen, brother, you're, gonna be, you, you're doing good. Get me to do an email. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't do, I don't do, I, I, you can feel free to text me. I'll give you my number right now, real quick. For, my phone number is 404-202-6919. Some of you have it. Most of the men in here have it. My email is gsteel69 at protonmail.com. Okay, there you go. Uh, don't come up with too many questions because I got my own stuff I'm going to cover, number one. We're going to do a deeper dive next week. Now. Um, I have some things I want to cover next week, and I will cover them. Things I want to cover, but you can either email me or contact me, and we will, I will try to cover those. But what I would really like for you to do is read First Peter on your own. It's not that I told you how many words it is, so, you know, it's a little over 2,000 words. Anybody can do that. We speak that usually before the first hour of the day is up. So surely you can take a week and read that many words. Uh, How's that for shaming the audience? <laughs> uh, seriously, just read First Peter. Go from beginning to end. I think that when you come back next week, you have some, maybe some thoughts or some ideas, or do some research on your own and offer to offer to us. What what did you say? How, maybe you've had some experiences. Maybe you can understand suffering better than better than I can. Suffered in a different way, perhaps, or per, even persecuted in a different way. Okay, uh, and I think of Angelica just right now. I just Brad just came up. What's going on? In, 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 South, in, in South America with what's going on there. They, they have a different life than, than we have, I believe. And so uh, I, I pray, for, pray for them. I know about you, I heard Brad shared about your brother and things like that. So, um, which is, I, I mean, again, I hear those, those kinds of stories and I'm just moved to just remember and think, you know, boy, we got it made here. Gee whiz. Okay, enough of me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful morning. We thank you for your word. Above all else, we thank you for the truth that's there. We thank you that over the centuries, you have, literally the millennium, you have preserved your word. It's, it's whole and it's rich and it's complete. And we have all we need for life and godliness just by adhering to this word. We thank you for that, Father. Thank you for the Jesus Christ, who was the living word, who was the word, and in the beginning was the word, has always been the word, and we, he's left us his written word, Lord. He has given us the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the teacher, so that we can fully understand the, your, your written word before us, Father. Let us grasp that with all our heart and live it out day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you.